got your Bibles, pull them out. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. It's also on your message notes. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, we see the apostle Paul. He's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he's talking to him about pastoring the people in his church. Now, if you were here last week, this is the passage we ended with, and I want to start with it this week. He says, look, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them. Now, what you got to know here is he's not talking to unbelievers, So he's talking to the believers and he's telling Timothy, look, you need to command the believers who are disciples, who are Christ followers, to what? To just passively live? To just exist? To just go to work and come home and make a good life for themselves? That's not what he says. Look what he says. He says, do good. So in other words, you were saved by grace, but you're saved with a purpose. That that purpose is that I'm going to do good with my life. That this world is better because I am here living in this life. My community is better. My family is better. My workplace is better. My neighborhood is better. My school is better. Why? Because God placed me in this place to do good. Then look, he says, to be rich in good deeds. Rich in good deeds. I wonder if some of us are, are, are in poverty in good deeds. We're in lack of good deeds. We, we just, like, we're, we're there. We, have you ever said, I wish, or I thought about it? Anybody had good intentions? You're like, I thought about doing good. Nobody? Okay, I've thought about it. There are a lot of times I've thought about doing good, and it's like, hey, it's got to be more than a thought. I need to be rich in good deeds. So in other words, here's what I would say. If you were to be un, in, set in trial and go to trial for your faith to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence on trial to convict you of being a Christian? Have you said the things that God has called you to say? Have you done the things that God wants you to do? Is there evidence that shows that you don't just live for yourself, but you actually live for God? He said generous. Look, he says be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So here's the key to that. We're to migrate the wealth of earth into eternity. Think about that. We're rich on this earth, but how do you become rich in heaven? Well, by doing good deeds, by being generous, by being willing to share. And when we do that, it says we lay up treasures in the firm foundation for the coming age. And then look at what he says, that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What does that mean? That means you want to live life? I mean, live it to the fullest? Live the way God has called us to live. Do good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. And you'll begin to live your life fully alive. Some of you come to church week in and week out, and you're saved. Your eternity is secure. But yet you can tell there is something missing. I wonder if what's missing is learning to live a life of legacy. And today what I want to do is I want to spend some time in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 24, verse 12 through 19 Genesis chapter 24, verse 12 through 19. I'm going to read quite a few passages of Scripture. I want to lay the foundation 
And then I'm going to give you a few thoughts at the end. This is the story, if you're brand new to Christianity, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. It's the story of Abraham. Abraham is the man that God called into his own to separate and to be a nation unto himself. And so Abraham is what we call the father of many nations. So in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is the story where God has promised Abraham a son. That is to be the promise. His name is Isaac. And when God promised him the son, God actually gave Abraham this promise. Look, he said he'd make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the uh, sand on the seashore. And Isaac is the beginning of this promise, the fruition of it. And when we see this story, what's happened is Isaac is no longer a child. He's become a man. And Abraham is going to go and find a wife for his son. And instead of him doing it, he sends a servant because he doesn't want Isaac to marry a Canaanite woman. And so the servant goes back into the land of Abraham's relatives, and he meets a young girl. Her name is Rebecca. And uh, I want you to see what happens with Rebecca and uh, see how she can speak to us about living a life of legacy. Genesis 24, verse 12. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen for your servant, Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So in other words, he's giving God a fleece. God, I'm on assignment. I know it's an assignment for you, even though it's my master. And I'm asking you that when I ask for a drink of water, whoever I ask, if it's the right person, she would say, not only will I give you water, but I'm going to water your camels. Verse 15, before he had finished praying, aren't you glad sometimes God answers instantly? Don't you wish he did it all the time? Like you just pray it and it's there. That's what happens here. Rebecca comes out with a jar on her shoulders. And they're on her shoulder, and it says in verse 16, the woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little bit of water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hand and then gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough. I'm going to stop right there. I'll tell you what happens. She ends up drawing water for her camels. Later on, she actually does become the wife of Isaac. And so here we see she does what the fleece was. She waters him, gives him water, and then waters her camels. And what's amazing is that this act of generosity actually unlocks her destiny. When you think about what she has done, it's not give a significant financial gift. She actually does a very easy act of service. Now, it wasn't easy in what it took to fulfill it, but it was simply giving someone water and then watering their animals. In today's society, we would say it was menial, pretty insignificant, and yet this insignificant act actually unlocks her destiny, which would impact not only her generation, but future generations to come. Think about it, just a simple act of kindness. 
Simple act of serving a stranger, someone she didn't even know. And it was this generosity of her life that opened up God's blessing in her life. And we know she becomes the wife of Isaac, the granddaughter of Abraham. But not only that, uh, we see that she becomes part of the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. I mean, imagine that. So here's what I thought we could do today as we're talking about legacy. I wonder if we could just have a conversation with Rebecca and say, hey, Rebecca, you lived a life of legacy. What is it that you would tell us if we were sitting down having a conversation today? So we're going to have a conversation with her. Here's the first thing. If we were to sit down with Rebecca, I believe Rebecca would tell us the first thing is you can't be generous and legalistic at the same time. Let me say it like this. We don't give to get. Let me say it like this. You don't give with strings attached. When Rebecca went out to water the camels and gave this man some water himself, she didn't do it with the hopes of gaining some kind of a reward. She didn't do it to become the wife of Isaac. She didn't even know that this was something that could potentially happen. She simply gave with no strings attached. There was no hidden motive. And I think what we need to be careful of is many times we can hear the prosperity message in gospel, which says we give to get. No, no, no. We don't give to get. We give because we're generous. We give because God has blessed us. We give because we have the heart of God Almighty. And could you imagine God saying, I'm going to give, but I want something. I'm going to give, but I, I, you got to give me something. No, no. It is a heart of generosity that says, I give because I am generous. It's what we see with, with Abraham. God blesses us to be a blessing. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And he goes on, he said, and I want you to be a blessing to others. So God blesses us to be a blessing. That's the heart of generosity. The heart of generosity is, God, as you bless me, I'm going to use what you've given to me, whether it's my time, my talent, my treasure. And God, let me look for opportunities to bless the world around me. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are probably thinking, well, God, he ain't blessed me with much. Well, here's what I would say. Maybe he hasn't blessed you with much because you haven't used the little that you have to bless others. So your cup is already full. And he's like, I want to bless you, but it would be a waste because you've not given what I've given to you away. I have learned that the blessing of God comes more and more in my life. As I give it away, it enlarges my capacity. That when he knows he can get it through me, he gets it to me. That I am called to be a blessing to the world around us. And then to have a cheerful heart. God, I thank you. I don't give because I have to. I give because it's the gratitude of God, you saved me. God, you've given me health in my body. God, you've given me the finances that I have. And God, I just love you and I'll do whatever you lead me to do to bless the people you put in my life. It's the same motive that we have when we tithe. You know, those of you that are brand new to Christianity and the faith, when we talk about tithing, tithing is when we give back to God the first 10% 
of the increase of what he gives to us. And you'll notice I said we give it back to God. Why? Because God gave you the strength in your body. God gave you the intellect in your mind. God gave you the skills that you have. And God gave you the favor to get the job that you actually have. And so that compensation that we receive, what God says is when we put him first, when we give him the first 10%, he says that comes back to me and then I bless the rest. It's a posture of the heart. It's like, God, I acknowledge that it wasn't through my strength and my smarts and my ability, but God, really, it's all because of you. It all belongs to you, and I give back to you what is already yours. And then out of that, it's not like, man, I got to tithe, because, you know, I've heard some people say, well, I just tithe because I don't want to be cursed, you know, because that's, that's kind of the mentality. I don't want to live under the curse. No, no, it's the wrong mentality. Listen, God doesn't curse people. We were already cursed. Tithe breaks the curse and then allows God to release the blessing in our life. It's the natural act that performs a supernatural act in our life. And that's why, look, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 and 8. Each one must give what he has decided. Look, look what it said. Decided. Each one of us gives what we have decided in our hearts. And then he goes, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Look, put that up on the screen for me. I know they got it in there. I want you all to see this because it's so important. Each one must give what he has decided in their heart. That's why we don't give spontaneous offerings. I mean, we, there may be a day where God does it and we'll do it. But in 10 years, nine and a half years, I mean, I can't even think of really the last spontaneous offering that we've done, we come ready to give tithes. That's it. So why? Because, man, we've already decided. We come ready. Legacy offering is the second weekend in December where we give above tithes gift to accelerate the vision of what God's doing. We, we don't just spring it on you. It's like we come ready to give. We've already decided what we're going to give. And he says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a stingy giver. No, a cheerful giver. Someone said, why? Because look, hey, I would almost even say it like this. If you're stingy in your ties, you could just keep it. Why? Because it's not, it's doesn't, it, doesn't bring, it doesn't please the heart of God. That's religion. You're trying to earn the love of God. You're trying to earn the favor of God. We don't come here saying, I got to. We come here saying, I get to. Lord, I'm so grateful to return back to you what you already have given me the ability to get. And it's that, that gratitude that moves the heart of God. And look at verse 8. It says, and God, will be, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So God blesses us so that we can be a blessing, and then he gives us the grace to be generous the grace to be generous. I, I heard last week a story of this that was, it touched my heart. I, I had shared a little bit last week about living a legacy life, and I think it was after this service, Peter had told me about the Men of Truth small group that meets each and every week. They had found a man who is homebound and needed a washing machine. And so that group, the small group of men, discovered about this need. They didn't have to pray about it. They didn't have to talk to me about it. They didn't have to come and get a council of people about it. Those men came together. They bought that man a brand new washing machine and installed it in his house. That is the grace of giving. Yeah. 
That's what it means to have a legacy life. You will never know the impact to that man who is homebound, who probably felt isolated and alone like nobody cared. And then these men walk in with a brand new washing machine saying, hey, we're going to give this to you. Why would you do it? Because God loves you. And then I found out, then they, they discovered there was a lady that needed a stove. They bought a lady a stove last week. Here's what I see God doing. It's just enlarging the capacity. It's like, okay, we just meet the needs of the people in this body. Isn't that what the church is supposed to be? Men and women that excel in this grace of giving, and we're glad to do it. It's like, God, you blessed me. I got no other choice. I just have to do it out of the overflow of my life. And I also love that in this group, it wasn't like a burden. Everybody just started sharing the need. What would happen to a church if everybody just took part in meeting needs of the people in this church, in this community, in your neighborhood, at your employment, at the schools? I mean, we would see a radical representation of the hands and feet of Jesus. And I think Rebecca would say, that's it. Giving without strings attached, no hidden motive, just learning to give. Second thing that I think Rebecca would tell us is that you can't walk the second mile until you've walked the first mile. I think we have this mentality sometimes where it's like, I, 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 I want to do the big thing, but we don't really do the first thing. See, for Rebecca, it, she didn't just do what was expected. She went above and beyond what was expected. See, back in that day, it was very customary for you to give a stranger who was passing through water. That was customary. That's what's expected. What was unexpected was for this young woman to water the camels of this man who was passing through. And look, this unexpected, this above and beyond, it wasn't easy. You know, you think about it now. Today we read, I always... I always laugh when I read the Bible because we read right over it. We're like, gave him water and his camels, and we just keep passing through. Did you know the camels can hold 25 gallons of water? 25 gallons. Anybody ever carried 25 gallons? I got a little five-gallon thing of water that I change at my house. and I mean, that thing about breaks my back. <laughs> Ten camels. Ten. Not one, not two, not three. Ten. Let's just say they had a little bit of water, that 20 gallons. They needed 20 gallons. That is 200 gallons of water that Rebecca just voluntarily in one sentence said, I'll do that. I mean, can you imagine if she just had a five-gallon bucket? She'd take 40 trips without a break. Just say it took three minutes. Now, I don't know if it's three minutes. You're talking two to three hours worth of work for her to say, and I'll water your camels too. That's second mile. Something about it costs you something. Not just doing what is expected, but going over and above and saying, look, I'm not going to do that without first doing this. See, I know some people are like, God, when I win the lottery, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give you a million dollars. I'm going to, you know, it's always these big things. And God's like, can you just tithe now? Can you just give now? Can you just do something now? Can You know, God, whenever I get a house, God, I'll, I'll host ho small groups. Well, do you have an apartment now? You don't go the second mile till you do the first mile. So what's the first thing that you can do? And then your generosity builds. Look at what Luke chapter 16 verse 10 says. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever's dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. I love the trusted with little. You know, you think about Rebecca's act of service. It did take a couple of hours, 
but it was simply her strength, a jug, and some water. And I know even the mentality can be, well, God, I'll give when I have money, but my question is, what do you have to give right now? Like, can you go cut someone's grass? You know, you got a neighbor. You got something that you can do right now. Can you go to the nursing home and love on someone who is sitting there who has no family that is desperate? They're isolated. They're alone. Do you have just a few extra minutes in your time that you can do something nice? When you find yourself evaluating your life and saying, I may not have money, but I got time. Okay, God, now, now that I've evaluated I got time, what can I do with my time? And you begin to say, I want to be faithful in the little, and then, God, you will make me ruler over much. The generosity, it, is, it, it builds. It's like it starts with step by step, little by little. Look at what Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, and I love this, because we've got to learn to dream big but start small. Things that seem very insignificant to you are very big to God. Look at what it says. If anyone gives even a cup... Of cold water. Think about that. See, I think we forget the small things. It's like, well, I'll do the big, no, no, just a cup of cold water to a little one because he is my disciple. I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. God rewards the little things in our lives. And, and I love that about our dream team. Our dream team get this. And I know I talk about them all the time. I'm just so proud of each and every one. We have 242 dream teamers, volunteers that serve each and every week here. We've got guys that show up on this campus. I don't even know if you know this, but at 5.30 in the morning, they're putting the signs out at the road to make sure that people know how to get to this campus. You know the ones that say, turn on your flasher, the ones at the intersections. And here's what they know, that putting that sign out there at the road, that gives them a piece of the reward of what God does here in this church, that each and every week people are being saved, set free, delivered, marriages are being healed, families are being restored, and that little act of service is actually building eternal rewards. They are living what we call a legacy life. I think about the nursery workers. You know, if you don't have kids that are nursery age, you know, we could just not even think about it. But did you know they change poo-poo diapers while we're in here getting fed and TT diapers? And so that when someone comes to pick them up, they're dry and clean. They're praying over the babies. Did you know that as she is changing those diapers, as whoever it is that's back there doing that week in and week out, did you know that God is rewarding their little act of service that seems very insignificant in our eyes, but to God it's a big, big deal. I was thinking about yesterday. I was I come up on Saturdays and finalized the message. There was a laid, group of ladies, Maria and Tori and Melissa and Blanca. They were hanging out up here in the, in the office, and I come out, and I'm like, what are y'all doing? They have 10,000 flyers that they have stacked according to 12 different schools that are promoting the Harvest Festival that happens next weekend. And you know, as I was preparing about this message, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking what they're doing now is actually impacting eternity. There are people that will get that flyer from their school and say, oh wow, I didn't even know there was a church, but there is a place where I can take my kids that is safe and family friendly, and they're gonna walk on this campus, and when they do, they're going to feel the love of God. They're going to experience us. And some may even come to church because we made flyers on a Saturday and said, I'm going to give of my time and talent and my life and their life will be impacted for eternity. A little act of service 
goes a long way. Think about after church, go to the, go to the, the restaurants and uh, eat and have fun, but can you tip the waiter really good? Like, let's don't give them a track. Let's actually give them money that they can pay rent with and pay their car note with and tip them really big and then ask them if we can pray for them. What if we hug our kid and the neighbors that come over, you know, all the kids that come to my house, I feel like we're like a, a train station, kids coming and going, and I'm always hugging. I'm like, man, I just want you to know I love you and I believe in you. You're welcome here anytime. That little hug makes a massive difference. A word of encouragement. How many have thought about encouraging, but you just let time slip? Maybe send a text, talk to an employee that's, that's a coworker with you and just say, man, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you. Buy a stranger groceries. What's my point? I'm just trying to think of ideas that may seem very little and insignificant in the right now and the right here, but recognizing that when God's grace is on it, it actually touches people's life for eternity. That's what Rebecca would say. Here's the third thing Rebecca would say. You can't take it with you but you can send it on ahead. Look, you're never going to see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Uh, you, you can't take it with you. It reminds you of a story of a stingy old man. He wanted all of his money to be buried with him. He'd worked his whole life, and he'd saved his entire life. And this man was a real cheapskate. In fact, he loved money more than just about anything else. And just before he died, he made his wife promise that she would bury his money with him in the grave and put it in the casket. And he said, you got to promise me. You'll put all my money in the casket. And she said, okay, honey, I promise. Well, of course, he eventually dies. And uh, he was laying in the casket and his wife and her friend were sitting right beside. And the ceremony for the funeral ends and they're about to close the casket. And the wife says, hold up, wait, 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 wait. She grabs a shoebox and places it in the casket. They close the casket, roll it off to take and bury him. And she comes to sit back down next to her friend. Her friend says, come on, hey, tell me, you weren't crazy enough to put all that money in there with your husband, were you? She said, well, yes, absolutely. I'm a Christian. I love my husband. He made me promise. I promised. And so I did exactly what he said. I put the money in the casket. Her friend said, you mean to tell me that you put all the money in the casket? And she said, well, absolutely. I took his money, transferred it from his bank account to my bank account, and I wrote him a check. You can't take it with you. And yet as Christians, we live here with this mentality like we hoard it while we're on earth, not realizing we've got to migrate the wealth of earth into eternity with us. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19. That was funny. I don't care what you say. That was funny. Y'all thought I was going to tell the old one that I've always told. I find a new story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had to be paying attention. Don't store for yourself treasures on earth. This is Jesus himself, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves break, do not break in and steal. So what's he saying? He said, migrate your wealth. We talked about it. Migrate your wealth. Migrate it. Think about it. Here's the fourth and final thing that Rebecca would tell us if we're going to live a life of legacy. You can't wait for the feeling. It will follow. I mean, can you imagine Rebecca waking up on this particular day? She, I mean, it's pretty fascinating. She had no idea this would be the day that would change her destiny forever. 
Could you just imagine her showing up and the man saying, hey, could I have some water? And then uh, she, she just feels like, I'll water your camels too. I just have this feeling today. I feel really good. I'm going to do it. No, 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 no. I mean, no, we don't have good feelings towards a lot of hard work. I, well, maybe you do, but I don't. I'm like, woo, that's work, that's work. Woo, I, I don't know if I want to work that hard. The only way she would have been in a position to water the camels too is because she had already decided that when opportunity arises, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to leverage my life. I'm going to be generous to the people that I know and like and people that I don't know and maybe those that I don't even like. She had already made a decision. And my concern is if we sit here week in and week out, we can say, well, I'll give when I feel like it. Come on, how many know we ain't going to feel like it? Feelings are fickle. And if you do feel like it, have you ever heard of buyer's remorse? It's like, I felt like it, but then you go home and you're like, well, I ain't feeling it no more. I won't take that back. No, no, that's because you're living by your feelings. We got to live by decisions. Look at what Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It doesn't say it the opposite way. A lot of times this is, this is one of the most misquoted passages in Scripture. A lot of times people say, well, you know, where my heart is, I'm going to give. No, no, no. No, no, no. In fact, where you give, your heart is. So in other words, you make a decision to be generous, and then the feelings follow. You make a decision that every opportunity I can, because remember, that's why we migrate the wealth of earth into heaven. It's not just in these four walls. It's outside these four walls. It's on the Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, Friday and Saturday. I mean, you just have to decide, if this happens, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to leverage my life. Here, here's a great way that Phyllis and I have decided. It's instant. We decided this a decade ago, probably more than that. When I see police officers and first responders and they're eating, they will never pay for their meal if I'm in that room and, ha and they haven't already paid for it. I'm going to buy their meal at Chick-fil-A. I'm going to buy their meal at Saltgrass. I'm going to buy their meal wherever it is that I see them. Why? Because I choose to love those who serve our community selflessly, sacrificing their time. They didn't take that job because they're getting rich. They took that job because they wanted to be public servants. And the least that a Christ follower could do is say, hey, I got your meal. I'm going to take care of that. You ain't going to pay for anything while I'm around. Why? Because I made a decision. You understand? Then it doesn't matter what happens in the culture. I have made a decision. Come on, men. I have made a decision that I'm going to open the door for my wife. Yeah. Yeah. Woo, come on. That's eternal right there. Look, all the women say, come on. You listening, honey? Come on. That's got eternal ramifications. That'll impact generations. <laughs> <laughs> joke, not joke. <laughs> What's the point? You got to decide. I'm going to decide. I'm going to decide. I've got to make a decision now. I make my decision now. I was thinking about the impact of your generosity. It often outlives you whether you realize it or not. Just like we see in the story with Rebecca. Again, now we see the ramifications. Clearly we see it. But think about, I was, I was thinking about even this building. Many of you are brand new to this church since we opened up our doors at this campus but how many of you just remember back at B.F. Terry in 2019? How many of you were with us in B.F. Terry in 2019? So it's quite a few of you. And then some of you, you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I remember standing up on the stage in December of 2019 saying, we believe God's given us this building. It was going to take a lot of money. Uh, we ended up raising millions of dollars in two years. And here's what I know. 
Many of you gave to that sacrificially. We made pledges. Remember the moving forward pledges? We did the big miracle offering and then we did pledges and it's what allowed us to be in this place. Here's what I would tell you. Here's the amazing part about that is that your generosity is impacting generations, not only this generation, but the future generations to come. Here's what's happened just this year. Because of your giving, 381 people have said yes to Jesus in this room or online. 381 people who were going to hell, whose eternal destination has changed because of your generosity. You may or may not ever meet them, but here's what will happen. You'll cross through to eternity, and because of your generosity, your financial giving, they will come to you and say, you are the reason I am here. Thank you. We baptized 79 people in this campus in this last year, just here. We got more happening today. If you want to be baptized, they talked about it. It's happening today. But all of that is impacting eternity. But here's what's cool, because I'm a giver. I'm a legacy giver. Legacy giver is someone who has identified themselves of having the gift of giving and give over and above their tithes. Uh, and I'm a legacy giver here. But here's what's cool. When I am dead and gone People's lives will be touched because of the giving that we gave towards this building. There will be a generations that follow us that, that lead people to a salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ and eternity will be impacted. In other words, our giving will keep giving. Look at John chapter 4 verse 38. It says, I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work, you've, but yet you have reaped the benefits of their labor. It's amazing. To see those that gave, they, they, they're the ones that gave. But many of you, you're sitting here reaping the benefits of their generosity. Here's what I would challenge you if that's you. You didn't give and you don't even know what I'm talking about with the, the moving forward. Could we ask God to let us be a part of what he does in the future? As we get ready for a legacy offering that comes in December, as we continue to advance, when, you know, I believe in God's going to give us that six acres next door. You know, how many know we need that for parking? How many are parking at the bank and the college and... You know, it's like, God, I'm going to be a part of something. I, I didn't do anything to get us here, but God, I choose to be a part of getting us there. And then here's the coolest thing about it. When we give, it's like giving to God himself. Matthew 25, 40. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Living a life of legacy is impacting God himself. It's like, God, we do it. And he's like, you've done it as unto me. And I'm so grateful that we're a part of a church that we say, God, we're going to live a life of legacy. And I wonder if Rebecca could just remind us there's more to this life than just this life.